0: Radio bin
1: Welcome to Parsha Talk, the the ultimate, the ultimate edition of Parsha Talk for Sefer Breshi. We're so glad you are with us here. We're recording this on Era Rosh Hashanah, the secular New Year. We want to wish all of our viewers and listeners. We're up to like 15 now. It's amazing. A happy New Year, happy 2021. Uh, may it be May that the previous year end with all its and the, let the new year begin with all its blessings. That's you know we can adapt that uh, to second year. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malvin, Highland Park, Conservative Temple, Highland Park, New Jersey. And with me, as always, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky at Kargashan Shechasset in New York City. Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter, Day School, Long Island. It's great to see you.
0: Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Shana <laughs> Tova, everybody. We're going to end 2020 doing what we do best. Studying Torah. Yes, indeed. And, and, and it's, I want to say,
1: With all the the glee that we have, this book ends on a downer. But I would like to pose the question to both of you, just as a way of kind of warming up here, going from the creation of the universe to the moment that ends our book, take us, give me
2: your best
1: cartography of this book. Barry Chester, I'll start with you.
2: Okay, old rabbinic saying, Masavot Siman What happens to the fathers is a sign for the children. So, Sefer Breshi begins with 11 stories, 11 chapters, which we might call the mythic history or the mythic story of the universe, which takes us from creation to Mekdal Bavel. And then the next 39 chapters plays it out again with a specific Israelite, what we would call a Jewish context so the story ends in exile gone aiden we're kicked out of exile because of our sin and we have to work very hard and where we're left with is the entire jewish people with the descent of yaakov and all of his descendants except for yosef and his egyptian children or children born in egypt in exile and they're about to begin very very hard work because almost immediately in Sefer Shmot which we'll get to next week, is the backbreaking work that sets the story of enslavement in motion. And it seems that we're asked to read the book as a book, number one, and with the two parts of that I suggested, but also as a prelude to the next four books of the Torah, which is the national story. This is the end of the personal story. With the death of Yosef, The personal story of the ancestors comes to an end, and now we're vested in the people. And Yaakov will become Israel, not only in his name, as happened, I think, in chapter 35 for the first time, but also in terms of the story. We're not going to be concerned with individuals whose family destinies are our destinies anymore.
1: Jeremy, what is your take on the Ark of Breshit?
0: Yeah, I think, I think very well summarized. The, the very beginning of this book and Jewish history or the, the, the mythic history of Am Yisrael is about exile and the long journey back to uh, a promised land. So at the at the very beginning of Breshit, when Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, they are um, they are sent sent away. And the the two cherubs are sent, you know, with the with a fiery flaming sword, derech uh, to guard the uh, road to the tree of life. Now, uh, what is exactly the the function of guarding the, the road to the tree of life? Is it to guard it with their with their the, the, the flaming twirling sword to make sure nobody comes to it? Or to keep the path traversable, right? Maybe the, maybe the cherubs are there with the flaming, uh, flaming twirling sword to keep that path open, to remind us that there is in this long, difficult, terrible, often terrible period of exile, which is the natural, so to speak, Jewish condition. Uh, there is derach et the road to the tree of life. And so I think that, that the, I do think that the Jewish condition has until the 20th century, um, you know, been very heavily on our minds and hearts as a place of exile and a longing for a homeland. You know, even, even when people lived in Eretz Yisrael, the vast majority of Jews did not until the 20th century. And that consciousness of exile is places it's big stamp at the end of this book you're in egypt it's going to be hard you are going to long for and strive to return to that place where you you belong in a different way and and to say to say that that you know i, th- I think it's very interesting to say that there's, there's a vast difference between the land belongs to me and i belong to the land perhaps that's a, a feature of of contemporary jewish consciousness and and something that we don't always manage that well um is the land ours or do we belong to and belong in the land
1: so both of you have convinced me now to revise my views on this uh, because, you know to seeing this as the the major theme i i I, I take a, you know the life and death theme uh seriously obviously the brashit begins with God as a life giver and we have the the book ending with Joseph dead in a box in egypt and I think the theme of uh, the general theme of human freedom—that that God creates the human being perfectly endowed with with freedom—and Joseph um, is as far from free as possible. By you know his life, in the end of his life, and his death, um, he is literally locked. And and as we'll see, you know, by the end, all he wants is for his bones to be moved up. And that with that, let's. Let's
2: move to because yeah. I think we have to make a, the point here that pastorally certainly we often refer to the cemetery as the eternal home. We have the expression in Hebrew "bed olamim." But Joseph, even though he's in the box, is not at home because his bones cannot that's, that's, rest that's, that's, outside of the okay. land. So they
1: this is, as this, as this is, as as is as a as great theme home. in 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 this parsha and 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 the opening scene of the parsha is you know "vayikrevu yemei Yisrael lamut." Israel, Jacob th- knows that he's about to die. He calls Joseph and he makes Joseph um, vow that th- he will be buried in Canaan. In <inaudible> Do not bury me in Egypt. <inaudible> and Barry, you mentioned that last week, I think it was, you know, that, that this is where his allegiance lies. But I want to explore this with both of you a little deeply because it's it's really a very powerful theme. What does this mean? I want to be buried in Israel,
0: Jeremy. So, I'll, for this, I want to go back to Parshat Sarah for a moment. Uh, when Abraham, upon the death of Sarah, uh, death of Sarah, uh, has to purchase a grave for her, and he buries, he buys Ma'arat haMachpelah, the cave, the cave of Machpelah in Kiryat Arba, Hebron, and the the commentary literature is very rich. Uh, on the reality that we may acquire all kinds of things we may acquire livestock and we may acquire you know movable property and we may be rich or we may be poor, we have all kinds of ups and downs in life, but at a certain level, the only thing that we really uh, own is our grave. In the end of the day, the the of our grave is is all that is really belongs to us. So Abraham wants this grave' this wonderful mythic tropes that and not only are Abraham and Sarah and and Yitzhak and Rivkah and Yaakov and Leah buried there but Adam and Eve are buried there it is the kind of nexus point between this world and the next world all of that is is a rich um, rich element in midrash but there's a a very business oriented detail in Chayei Sarah that strikes me as incredibly important for understanding the Torah Abraham pays 400 shekel kesef, 400 silver currency pieces, whatever that is, 400 shekels uh, for that grave. In contrast, later on in, in in 2 Samuel, when David will buy the Beit HaMikdash, the, the, the land, the, the uh, goren ornan, the, the threshing house of Ornan HaYivusi, to, to build the Beit HaMikdash, he will pay 50 shekel kaseh. Abraham pays eight times the amount for this sacred site that David will pay for that sacred site. To me, that is the Torah's dollars and cents, Shekel Kesef explanation that um, where our ancestors are buried is really more important than all this ritual stuff. And that, that feeling that the Torah has that the land is ours, uh, not that we possess the land, we belong in the land, we belong to the land because of the lives of our ancestors and the bones of our ancestors.
1: So it's like MasterCard, it's, it's, but the, you know, the temple is priceless. So well, can't, can't.
2: But the temple also is above ground, and things that are above ground don't last. So the land, in the idiom of the Bible, it has a, an aspect of eternity about it. When Moses wants to invoke... An eternal promise. He invokes the heavens and the earth because they are understood to be forever.
1: And, and excuse me. And the fact that the bo- that Jacob wants to be interred in the earth in Canaan is
0: eternity. I mean, it's right. not because he loved Leah so much. He didn't. Okay. It's not. It's not that I have to be beside my my dear Leah. It's that. We are part of this, and and you know what I mean. Without being too graphic here, um, the human returns to the humus. Adam, Adam min ha your body, you know, ki tabela farta tashuv, you are from the earth, and you will be the earth again. And I find this just tremendously moving there's a rachel poem oh, it's by not the way, moving about at the all body becoming there
2: forever jeremy huh you won't be moving you're going to be there forever
0: <laughs> i find this incredibly stationary okay <laughs>
2: i think that there's there is much to be said for that because if we think honestly we don't know what's going to happen when we die so our consciousness of eternity is very much wrapped up in our consciousness of what a grave is and our burial in the ground. That, that is how we embrace eternity. That's all we know because we don't know what's going to come next. uh,
1: Jeremy and I were talking before, we, we, we spent a lot of time in cemeteries and we're, we're connected. I think in ways that most people are not, that is to say, you know, we're, we're involved quite physically in that. And, and, and know the people there through, through years and years of relationships. You know, you, we, we, we traverse through the rows in the cemetery and we have our, our narrative, but you know, that, that is limited to us and to our generation, you know, to, to living memory uh, you can go to, you know, cemeteries where you, you know, nobody gets visited. Nobody knows the story, but I think, you know, you you know, the, Having a, a, a place, that, that is always going to be a source of comfort, uh, whether or not you uh, become part of the earth or, 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 or the, the, the geological cycles, the carbon cycle. Well, I think the that's earth. a
2: theological argument against cremation. Exactly. is that we do need a place, that we need a place where we have literally left our mark. And it's the mark that marks our grave. And we know, and people who come, if they come once a year, once every thousand years, that whoever sees it knows that a human being lived with that name. Indeed. It's huge. But let's move to, to life things, which is
1: I, the, <laughs> the extraordinary scene where Jacob adopts the sons of uh, Joseph, uh, Manasseh, and Ephraim. Uh, we could talk about about um, the you know placing one over the other, which which we've we've done over the past p- couple of weeks. But but talk about the bracha. What does Yisimcha Elohim kefray mechim Nasheh mean? We we invoke this um, in in our weekly blessings of our children of our male children. Uh, it, it, the text is. Jacob blesses the two sons saying, Thus shall Israel bless May God make you like Ephraim and And he does that you know, sleight of hand, places of Ephraim. So as a blesser, two blessers of children, A, what goes through your mind when you invoke this? B, what, is it, what does it mean? Why is it here?
2: I would say a couple of things. First of all, what Ephraim and Menashe represent is fraternal love. We don't hear of any conflict between them as we do with the other brothers. Nice. So that's nice. very important. The other thing is that they have a dual function. They become part of the 12 tribes of Israel, so they're equal to the other 10 tribes, but they're still the grandchildren of Yaakov. And you know, the old saying is, You know that you're a good Jew if you have Jewish grandchildren. And Jacob had Jewish grandchildren. And that was an incredibly important thing. So when we invoke their names on our children, we're asking them to consider that their place is in our family as a recipient of the blessing. But we also want them to remember that they have to extend that blessing to their children as well. So, in and other
1: words, it's it's about continuity. That's it's about uh,
2: continuity and incredible hope. hope. even though we can't know the future, we dream about it and we invest our blessings in it. Jeremy, what's your take?
0: Uh, you know, first of all, want to want to note that uh, that our friend, um, related to Barry by marriage, Carol Chesler, posed the question to us about uh, <laughs> about. What's up, what's up with these two characters, Ephraim and Nashe? And, and I, I don't know exactly what she had in mind in the, in the question, why is it that they are the paradigms for blessing, but I, I, would, I would observe that, you know, in, in a bunch of years working in, in American Jewish life, um, as we close out the book of Breshit, I, I find that a lot of people treat the characters in Breshit like they think there's something about the individuals because listen, we're American Jews. We live in a society that that wants to know, and we've learned to read, you know, contemporary literature and watch contemporary films. And there's something about the personality of each and every, you know, t- if it's good, you, a work of literature, if it's good, a work of, you know, film, you'll get a sense of personality. You'll know who Charles Foster Kane was, or you'll know who Vito Corleone was, or you'll know who Scarlett O'Hara was, or something like that. You'll know who Clarissa Dalloway is, and you'll know something about the individual. I don't really think that's so true about the characters in *Brasheet*. okay? I don't know if Abraham was, you know, quick-tempered or funny. I don't know if Isaac was musical. I don't know if Jacob was, you know, I don't know anything about them. And I certainly don't know anything about Ephraim and Menashe. I do think that these characters, um, and and maybe this aligns with what Barry said, they represent paradigms for, you know, perhaps um, connected descendants, connected progeny. We might say, and I'll, I'll maybe Ellie, you'll say some of the stuff you said before on the before the call began uh, about the experiences of the exile-born, yeah. or or you know, Ephraim and Menashe they are the children of a parent who has endured exile. Do you want to expatiate on that? I
1: just, you know, this was just a brainstorm basically based on the question, which is the two of them are outsiders to the unit. And there is something about being the outsider that you always have to strive and that, and that, as we know, you know, part of creativity comes from seeing yourself uh, not necessarily within a certain paradigm and that, the blessing of Israel is the blessing of the Jewish people is always to see yourself as somewhat differentiated from the rest of the world. And to, to have that as part of your self-consciousness in the most beautiful, creative and living way. I think that that might be encoded in that blessing. I, 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 that's just a a reach, Um, but it, it, it somehow makes sense. I like the idea of continuity. I like the idea that, that, the fraternal love idea is, I think, a beautiful I mean it in in a way it satisfies the whole arc of the book of Bresheet too, because Braysheet is all about sibling rivalries. And here is the one pair of siblings that that we don't have any indication of any rivalry. Very I think
0: I, I also I mean I wanna return to the fact that these two children who you know whatever, maybe they don't know their father as Yosef ben Yaakov. Maybe they know their father as Tzafnat Panach. Yeah. You know, maybe they know their father by his Egyptian name, his Egyptian power, and they've learned that there is some other identity, some national story or some familial story that they can remain part of. Um, I, I don't know if we, if we mentioned this last, last time or not, but uh, th- there's a bidrash that says that, that when Joseph... Is listening, or two, two times ago, Joseph is listening to his brothers speak Hebrew. He's speaking through a translator, and they don't know that he knows their Hebrew. And the translator is Menashe. Okay, the, the child whose name means, according to the Bible, jo, Joseph named him Menashe because Menashe, nun shen means forget. So I named him Menashe because I forgot all my previous pain, and yet he taught that boy Hebrew. He gave that boy a legacy and an inheritance to keep him connected to the identity that he, for for plenty of good reasons, wanted to forget, but he didn't really forget it. He kept it alive and taught this taught this child the language necessary to access it. So we have to come back to that theme at the we end. I want to
2: add one more thing here. So when <laughs> they appear before Jacob at one point, it says "Vyar, yes albansefi, he sees the children of Yosef." Laomr, Mi Ela, which we often translate as "Who are they?" or who are these?" And um, it's linked with the subsequent verse which mentions that Jacob, now very much like his father Isaac, cannot see. But I think it's better understood not who are they, but whose are they. Are they your sons, Joseph, Joseph the Egyptian, or are they my sons, Jacob the Israelite? And when he's assured that they're his sons, then he gives them the blessing. And then he also crosses his hands because that blessing goes to the younger. I think I may have mentioned this last week that I think that this is Jacob's recognition that, in fact, he deserved the blessing that he thought he took by stealth from his brother. But that it was always intended for him to get that blessing, and that's why Ephraim gets the blessing as well. That's nice. That's nice. So let's let's turn now to
1: to the moment that Jacob died. J- part of the parsha deals at length with a with a testament to the brothers, to the to all the children. Very long, very poetic passage, which you know every verse um, uh, practically has pages and pages of commentary and Midrashima on it. It's so poetic, but. Uh let, let me get your comments on, on this verse. Jacob you know finished his his uh testament. He puts his legs in the bed, he expires, Okay, Jeremy. What doesn't it say? <laughs> what, what doesn't
0: it say? It doesn't say it says. He expired, but it doesn't say Vayamot, and he died. So we have the wonderful, I mean, this this is just one of the, you know, this is one of the top 10 Midrashic themes is the Yaakov Avinu Lomet. Our ancestor Jacob never really died. It didn't didn't say he died. Um, And and the Talmud has a wonderful snarky line and says, so why did they embalm him and put him in a coffin? <laughs> and he says, no 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 the other voice comes back in the Talmud and says, yo I'm being poetic here he didn't he didn't die ma apukayam. as as long as his and as long as his descendants endure, so too he endures And I think one of the great you know, uh, obviously, Shmot has a big ending, and 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 Vaikra has a big ending, and and Devarim certainly has a big ending. No, numbers fizzes out a little bit more, perhaps, but Brashid has a big ending. You know, this, this the, the the Talmudic tradition calls it Sefer Hayashar, right? The the, the book of the upright. We have these titanic. Uh, what would you say? Like these these are huge characters. Colossal characters. Colossal characters and they pass from the scene, okay? And, and there's a way in which you, if you're a Jew who inherits their legacy, you might say, oh, man, this is, this is terrible. They're, we're, we're past there, you know, the great ones are gone. Actually, the thing to stress is the continuity. It's never over, it's never quite over. Um, as long as you and I exist in Jewish community, Yaakov Avinu, he's still here. Still here. How about the scene
1: then of the, of the procession to Canaan? You know, Joseph, I, I'm going to be critical about Joseph. Joseph doesn't have, you know, the sense of, of freedom that he needs to just come and go. He has to go petition Pharaoh. He, he, he slightly changes the wording. He says to Pharaoh, my father made me swear to him to bury him in Canaan, doesn't say, don't bury me in Egypt, and Pharaoh says, Ale, go up and bury, and and Pharaoh sends the entire apparatus of the government, everything, the Congress, the Supreme Court, the entire cabinet goes up with Joseph to uh, Canaan, and I want to just stop and freeze that frame for a moment, Barry, you want to just weigh in so,
2: on that? So, you know, we've talked a little bit about this. I think that there are two trains running on parallel tracks. I think on one train, we look at this and we could say, this is great kavod on Pharaoh's part. This isn't his family, but this is an important person to him. And therefore, his dead get all the honor that I could give, which is everyone. Or we could take the Galut mentality they're out to get us. They don't trust us. And therefore, they send everyone to make sure that Joseph comes back. But if they were really that concerned that Joseph wouldn't come back, why would they let him go in the first place? So I think, you know, one of the things that's become clearer as we've talked our way through safer sheet is the importance of the theme of exile and what it does to us as individuals and as a people. And we never quite get the exile out of us, it seems. And, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about the modern state of Israel and the the parallel tracks of the Zionist dream. Do we want to be a light unto the nations, or do we want to be a nation like any other nation? And we see in the modern state of Israel that, you know, mostly now they've opted for that second one. We want to be like any other nation. And That's problematic. We can understand it, obviously, even if we don't particularly appreciate that form of Zionism, but it's still problematic because where is this idea that we stand for more than ourselves? And I think that coming back to Joseph, when the Egyptians accompany him, then he's standing for more than himself. I I think it's a positive thing.
1: I think that proposition is debatable. That that there there are significant sectors of the Israeli population that that are are actively engaged in the question of what does it mean to be a Jewish state, but but um, you know I, I think you know again amplifying the theme of exile very very powerful theme, but there's also a sense of power politics major geopolitics going on. I was mentioning that that the the. The movement of, of Pharaoh, the whole, the whole government basically into Canaan is, is the equivalent of flying your bomber over the Persian Gulf. It's a show of force to the local population, given that the rival power is Babylonia and uh, that the, the, the people in between are going to be shuffled back and forth between these two poles. Uh, right.
2: But we're reading a Hebrew account. We're not reading the Babylonian account. I understand. They might have completely ignored this because, oh, let's have the, let the Egyptians have their fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. We're running out of time, but we got to talk about the final scene. The final scene is where, uh, so the, the, you know, they come back and the brothers say to Joseph, you know, (laughs) daddy told us. When, you know, we made his promise that we would ask for forgiveness, right? Uh, Jeremy, give me your best
0: shot, best
1: sermon on this.
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is a hard one. The brothers, the brothers, the, the guilt is so indelible, right? Like, they know how badly they actually behaved, and... I guess they sort of feel that they've made it work and they've been saved alive and they've managed to live a few years in Goshen, but they can't quite believe that Yosef actually has it in his heart to like literally forgive them. And they think that only, only Yakov's presence to, so as not to cause more pain to him has pre- prevented him from, from slaughtering them all. And so they make up this lie. You know, the brothers, who, they lied at the beginning of the Joseph story. They can lie at the end of the Joseph story. They make up this lie. And, and Joseph once again is moved to tears. Says, no, 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 no. Really, I do forgive you. And the, um, the, I mean, I think that all of us can think, you know, those of us who are in rabbinic lives and see lots of families or, but those of us who aren't in rabbinic lives, just in our own families and our own lives know that sometimes it's easier to forgive others than to forgive yourself. And the brothers uh clearly don't really have not really internalized uh, forgiveness towards their own wrongdoing. So, so, you know, Leonard Cohen said,
1: you want it darker. You want it darker. Yeah. So I'm going to go darker here. Okay, good. I'm going to go darker and say, Vayefk, Yosef, he he he's, he cries out of exasperation. He still can't believe they're playing this game. It it crushes him. It crushes him, and and I think within Yosef there is there is really a a terrible crisis. I think gnawing at him is this whole idea that he has brought everyone down here and that. He he can foresee that it's going to go south for the people, and and there is a despair here. I, I the last line, and we're going to jump to it, is is not happy. It's this is not a happy ending. You know, and that he himself wants his bones taken up. You know why? Barry, you're smiling there. I know you've got something to say here.
2: So I I have a few things to say, as is often the case. So. I think that the part of the problem with the brothers and their disbelief at Joseph is that they cannot imagine that Joseph can forgive them. And therefore they assume that he can't because their, incap- their incapability is projected onto Joseph. Joseph, on the other hand, is called at least in one part of the rabbinic tradition, Joseph the righteous, he can forgive. So he doesn't have a problem saying that other people can be forgiven as well. But I think that what we're really left with is the struggle uh, of who Joseph really is. And how we understand Joseph really is gonna depend, shape how we understand B'N'ai Yisrael, meaning both his brothers, um, you know, the brothers the sons of Jacob, and also the entire people as well. You know, Joseph did great in Galut, but he's left homeless at the end of the book. He wants to go back. He
0: wants. By the way, I just want, to, I want, want to-, to go back
2: to a physical place or does he want to go back to a chronological place? Is he looking to find his father again? Because that's where he had the father that he loved and thought loved him.
0: I, I want to just instantiate in, in a kind of a Kabbalistic, Midrashic way um, what, what Barry just said. Joseph says, Hatachat Elohim, Ani. Am I, uh, literally the shot is, am I in place of, of God? Am I in place of Elohim? I'm not going to punish you for your sins. This is the human realm. This is for God to punish you. Don't worry. I'm not going to kill you. The brothers say to him, okay, 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 we're well, your slaves. By the way, Joseph has enslaved lots of people. He's enslaved the entire Egyptian people. So the brothers can perhaps be forgiven for thinking that, that Yosef's way of dealing with the people who threaten him is to enslave them. But he says, no, no, no. Hatachat Elohim ani, am I am I um, in place of Elohim? But there's a standard way of reading that Yudhe Vavhe means Midat harachamim, God of mercy, and Elohim means midat Hadin. God of judgment and in Kabbalistic mythology, um, the sort of left hand powers of the spherotic tree or the godhead are the powers of judgment, and the right hand powers are those of mercy. Yosef is the sphere of yesod and so Kabbalistically, when he says Hatachat Elohim ani, do you think that I am under the influence of those powers of judgment? Am I beneath Elohim? Is that what's influencing me? I'm not under the powers of influence. Uh, I'm not influenced by the powers of judgment, punishment, harshness. I am under the powers of grace and forgiveness and mercy. Uh, That sort of works Kabbalistically. The Yesod is is with Tiferet, is with Dat, is with Keter. Uh, But what's interesting to me about that is that then it becomes characterological or typological there are in this world powers of divine judgment and this is not one of them okay this is the power of grace you guys you have come to the power of grace to your great surprise you have come to the place of forgiveness so accept it and that that's kind of hard for them to accept but
1: so so let's have a final word on on brashit this is this is you know sad ending it's it's Got so many different layers. The darker layers, or the layers of grace, I think we'll leave that for our viewers and listeners to debate over the Shabbos lunches. Um, but um, we're we're setting the stage for 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 another set of stories here.
2: And- oh, we could say it's been a great beginning, but we're ready for the next chapter.
0: Jeremy, <laughs> all I got to say. And we are literally, to our to our many viewers, who will be watching us for I don't even know how long to come, we are literally spending our final hours of 2020 talking about this parasha. All I can say is, Chazay, chazay, chazay. kazak. chazay. and strong and strengthen each
1: other. great sheets. And off to Shemot next week. Shabbat shalom to everyone. Joy, and have a happy, and safe, and sweet
2: Se
0: bačalom Se bačalom Atmazinnebleche du ya fm